scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we begin to open your word, let you speak to us through it, God. We pray that you would bring glory from our imperfect ability to teach and preach the word. That you'd get glory from our imperfect ears, our inability to hear it the way it needs to be heard. That you get glory, Lord, in everything we do this morning because this has nothing to do with us. We're not good enough. We're not skilled enough. We are not knowledgeable enough to receive your word and get any credit. Instead, God, we beg for your Holy Spirit to move inside of us, to open eyes and to open ears, and to help us to see what it is you want us to see from your word this morning. God, we want you to be glorified. We want to decrease. We want you to increase. And God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the middle of a series called He Reigns, preaching straight through the book of Acts, verse by verse, section by section. And we've been in Acts chapter 3 for the past few weeks uh, in the middle of uh, studying this passage where Peter and John had gone up to the temple and had performed by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, performed a miracle of making a lame man who had been lame from birth to walk. And so this lame man walks and as he uh, is healed, he's able to enter the temple with Peter and John, and it draws a crowd, and Peter, being a good preacher, sees once there's a crowd, there's an opportunity to preach, and he begins to preach the Word of God. So there's this wonder, miracle in chapter 3, and then there's the Word being preached. And so we've been the last couple of weeks studying this passage of the Word, and today we are on the last section of this sermon that Peter preaches. It's really a section uh, about the response and about repentance. And so I want us to read Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, if you would take them and turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand and one of our men will get one for you. So just raise your hand up and we'll get one for you. And if you um, just want to read along on the screen, we'll have it up on the screen as well. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And the Word of God says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and your offspring shall, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from 
your wickedness. And so what we see here in this passage, in Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 26, is the last part of Peter's sermon. Really, it's the last part before he gets interrupted. Because he's preaching, he talks about how every one of them should turn from their wickedness. And next thing you know, in in Acts chapter 4, the authorities interrupt the sermon. But this portion of the sermon is really the portion of the sermon where he, he draws it to a conclusion and he's encouraging his people to respond to this message. Respond to what God has already told them. So the title of today's uh, message is The Glory of God in the Call to Repent. The Glory of God in the Call to Repent. And in verses 17 through 19, we see four basic points of the gospel message. Four basic points of the gospel message there in those first couple of verses. And so in your notes there, you'll see a sentence that I've written out with blanks in it. And we're going to go through those points, those four words, one by one. They all start with the letter R. So I really put on my Baptist preacher cap last night and tried to figure out how many words I could get to start with the same letter. And so we see that here in, in the sentence here today. But uh, So I'm going to have you guys go ahead and bring up our, our sentence. And we're going to preach through the first couple of verses. And then we're going to hone in on the very last point here and, uh, and focus the, re- the second half of the sermon on that. But the first thing I want us to see here in verses 17 to 19 is that mankind has rebelled. Mankind has rebelled. Verse 17, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. Now, at first glance here, it might seem like Peter, okay, he's already preached sermons like this. He's already told them they were guilty. Remember the day of Pentecost? He really got serious with them and told them how guilty they were. And now here he is again. Now, this time it seems like maybe he's taking a little bit easier on them. Like, At first glance, perhaps he's kind of absolving the people of responsibility. But just because something's done in ignorance doesn't mean that a person's not guilty. Just because something's done in ignorance does not mean that the person who did it is not guilty. Matter of fact, if I go over to England and I decide to get in a car and drive, and I'm not aware just because I'm ignorant that they drive on a different side of the road, and I get out in the street and I start driving and I smash head on to somebody, I may be totally ignorant, but the judge isn't going to take it easy on me because he's going to sentence me to something for whatever damages I've caused. Because even though I was acting out of ignorance, I was still guilty. Ignorance means here simply that the people did not fully understand that Jesus was their Messiah. But this does not absolve them from responsibility. First of all, uh, they should have known from the scriptures that Jesus was Messiah. They should have known from the scriptures, and we see that being taught here, that Moses and the prophets and Abraham, everybody they've all pointed to Jesus, and they should have known from simply looking at the Old Testament scriptures that this Jesus came and fulfilled the scriptures, and he was the Messiah. 1 Corinthians 2, 7-8 says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Peter, Paul says, hey, we're preaching something that God's been proclaiming since the beginning. From the very beginning, God's been proclaiming that this Jesus would have to die for the sins of mankind. And if they would have understood that and not acted in ignorance, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord Jesus. But just because they acted in ignorance does not mean that they're not guilty. Secondly, they should have known uh, from Jesus' own words that he was Messiah. Jesus oftentimes said that he was the one, the promised one from the Father. Uh, Thirdly, they should have known from the witness of John the Baptist that he was the Messiah. 
There are plenty of reasons that they should have known that their ignorance was not excusable. Fourthly, they should have known from the simply from the mighty works that God was doing through Jesus that he was the Messiah. Now, I do believe in levels of punishment in hell and that there are those who do deliberate acts, conscious deliberate acts against God. And that deserves a deeper punishment, perhaps, than an ignorant act against God. But all acts of sin will receive a punishment, whether it's done out of ignorance or out of a deliberate intentionality. But I do sense here in Peter sort of a tone of, of sorrow and a tone of, um, of perhaps a gentleness with his brothers. And what I mean by his brothers are his, the people from Israel. A sense of gentleness and sorrow for them. Okay, Peter can get pretty harsh with his words, so can Paul. But there's something to, to learn here from the way Peter approaches these, these brothers, these Israelites. He calls them brothers, Adelphi, which is a, which is a term. It's, a, it's an intimate term for brother, friend, brother. And he, and he comes to these guys and he, and he says, listen, I know you acted in ignorance and so did your rulers. But I want to tell you what the truth is. And this should, this should help us. This should help us when we think about how to approach people with the gospel. We can either be in your face, turn and burn Christians, or we can be people who have gentleness and really think about where we weren't once were at one time. Because you think about Peter here, I'm sure as he's looking at these thousands of people he's preaching to and his heart begins to melt for them and he begins to feel sorrow for them, he's probably thinking back to some of his own ignorant words. All you got to do is go look back in the gospels and Peter said plenty of ignorant things. He just, it seems like ignorance just popped out of his mouth sometimes. And he would say stuff that just wasn't the right thing to say at the right time. Or maybe he's thinking back to his deliberate act. When he deliberately denied the Lord Jesus. When someone came and said, hey, you're with him, aren't you? And he deliberately denied the Lord Jesus. Perhaps those things are flowing through his mind here as he looks out and sees the faces of these people. Or perhaps he just remembers the words of his own Lord Jesus. When Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Or in Luke chapter 23, verse 24, when from the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps that's flowing through, through Peter's mind here as he looks out at these people and begins to preach to them. And it should be a lesson for all of us. And how do we do evangelism? Because there was a time when we were acting in ignorance. If you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, there was a time, I don't care when you came to the Lord Jesus, when if you were nine years old like I was, or you were older, um, maybe in your 20s or your 30s, or maybe just very recently you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and before you were just acting in ignorance. You know what, that should give you compassion towards others because there are others out there who think they've got it all figured out when in reality they're sinning against a holy God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world. Satan has blinded the eyes of people, keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, even if we're ignorant... Okay? We've still rebelled against God and we're guilty of insurrection against the king of the universe. So Peter wants to make sure he that these people know you're guilty. Even if you acted in ignorance, you're guilty as are your rulers. But the next thing he wants them to see 
is also that God reigns. Mankind has rebelled, yet God reigns. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to this whole passage, because this really fills in the next two blanks. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So God reigns. He made it happen. He thus fulfilled. Even though mankind has rebelled, even though we've all rebelled against God, it's not like he's sitting up there trying to figure out how to fix the situation. He reigns. Now, I'll get to the first part of this verse here in a second, but right now I want to focus on he thus fulfilled. Now, I want you to notice, he doesn't just say he fulfilled. It says he thus fulfilled. The word thus points to something. It points to the method that he fulfilled the promises. So the word thus points to a method. And what's the method? How did God fulfill the promises? He did it through their sin. So he reigns. Isn't just he fulfilled it. Isn't that they rebelled and he just went, okay, I'm going to figure out plan B here. All right, I'm still going to make it happen. It's no, that God is sovereign. And in his sovereign plan, somehow this mysterious gospel is that God used, he not only did it in spite of our sin, but he did it through our sin. He accomplished what he planned, which blows our mind. Because we're thinking here, Jesus died for our sins, yet our sins is what made it possible for him to die for our sins. God used the very rebellion against his own son to bring about the redemption of the world. So God reigns. He fulfilled it in that way. He thus fulfilled the scriptures. This is repeating the same theme. We'll see this over and over again through Acts. Peter's already said this before. You remember, go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And this is what it says. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So Jesus was delivered up, what? To be murdered by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then the verse goes on to say, you, this Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Therefore, you're guilty. God planned it, but you're guilty. You committed the sin. And so God brings about his plan in this amazing and mysterious way, this sovereign plan where he uses our sin to bring about his glorious purposes. So it was done according to God's plan. Mankind has rebelled, yet God reigns, and he has accomplished all that he has revealed. He's accomplished all that he has revealed. That's what the next point is there. He's accomplished all that he's revealed. There you go. See, my clicker's not working today. So I only have a finger to point back to the sound guys. Now, there you go. All right. Because, as I said earlier, there's no excuse because the Old Testament had pointed and spoken about Jesus. God had revealed that this was to happen. God had revealed his plan. Yes, some of it was shrouded in mystery. But when the people began to see things fulfilled, they should have understood that this was God's plan. And so God... Well, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The early church's witness was simply that God had done nothing but what the prophets and Moses had already said was going to happen. That was the witness of Peter and Paul and all the apostles, was that God has simply done what he said he was going to do. And so this passage here, 
And in and, and multiple other passages in the book of Acts, it's simply the apostles appealing to the Old Testament. And I want you to notice here, we're going to skip forward in the passage and then we'll come back. I want you to notice here that Peter appeals to three great authorities in the life of a Jewish person. Three great authorities, which is Moses, the prophets, and Father Abraham. And he uses those three great authorities in a, in a Jewish person's life to point to the fact that all of these authorities that you revere so greatly, that you think have eternal life for you, where the, the scriptures, like Jesus had just said, all of them are pointing to the true path for eternal life, which is Jesus. So if you look at the rest of the passage, Acts verses chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, I'm just going to read that section to you. It says, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, verse 22, here's his appeal to Moses. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So he appeals to Moses. Now, during Jesus' time, they viewed this passage, as they should have viewed it, as a messianic passage. That there was a prophet, not just any prophet, but a special prophet who would do what Moses did. And that is to guide the people to God's promises. Guide the people to restoration. Take them out of captivity and deliver them and be a deliverer like Moses was. And so they looked back at this passage and they said, that's a messianic passage. And Peter confirms for them, yes, that is. And it points to Jesus who has delivered you. And then in verse 24, he says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets. So from Samuel onward, all the prophets spoke about God's deliverance. There will be a day when he would set his people free, and they all pointed to Jesus. And then in the second half of verse 25, he says, where he says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So now he appeals to Abraham. He says that promise, that Abrahamic covenant promise that God made to Abraham, this is how it's being fulfilled. This is how God's blessing all the ends of the earth is through Jesus Christ. It's through all people, Gentiles and Jews alike, coming toward to Christ in faith, repenting of their sins. That's how the Abrahamic covenant is being fulfilled and so again he Abraham points to Jesus all the prophets point to Jesus and so does Moses and so we see from this passage that the apostles would argue over and over and over again to their Jewish brethren that God was simply doing exactly what he said he was going to do and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures in Luke chapter 24 verse 27 one of my favorite passages in scripture is where Jesus is walking with the two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. It's just this wonderful passage. It's just you know, a great drama involved in it too because he walks up and they don't recognize him. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All of Moses, all the prophets pointed to Jesus Christ. So God has kept his word, and his word bears a strong witness for those who reject him and for those who fail to submit to him as Messiah. Okay? The Bible says, according to Moses, that all those who don't follow the new prophet, the Bible says that they don't listen to the prophet, they shall be destroyed from the earth. So there's this strong warning. 
And we've all rebelled against God. Therefore, we must, the final point is, we must repent. We must repent. Mankind has rebelled, yet God reigns and has accomplished all that he has revealed. Therefore, we must repent. Repent. It's like a, it's over and over again in Acts. Repent, 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 repent. I mean, that's the early church calling on people to repent. It's not a popular word in church today. Repent. You don't hear it a lot in churches today. Repent because it means that you're going the wrong way. <laughs> you're going the wrong way. There's a one-way street. You're heading the wrong way. You've got to turn around. And when you tell people that they're going the wrong way, they get offended. You can't tell me I'm going the wrong way. Who are you to judge me? I can drive down a one-way street if I want to. Now, people don't think that way, but they think every way gets to God, right? Every way goes to God. And so when you tell someone, no, no, humanism doesn't lead to God. That religion doesn't lead to God. Being a good person doesn't lead to God. Let me tell you, you've got to turn. You're heading down dead-end streets. You've got to turn and follow the way. But it's not a popular message today because it means that we're going to have to be offensive and intolerant. And so, the Bible clearly says in Acts chapter 3 and in multiple places that there is one way, and unless we repent, what's the verse that Tanner read today? There is one name under heaven by which man can be saved. Only one. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, we see here this call to repent in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again. Now, this is where I want to focus the rest of our time on this word repent. Okay? What happens if we turn and repent? Why should we repent? What will happen if we do repent? Okay, so I want to go to our next slide. We should repent so that, number one, we can receive forgiveness of sin. I'm sticking with the R words, by the way. i got three more R words for you. I was rolling last night, man, with the R words. Woo, all right. So, so we can receive forgiveness of sin. Acts chapter 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. There may be no more beautiful phrase in all of Scripture than that phrase right there. So that your sins may be blotted out. It's a beautiful phrase. Now we think about uh, today um, erasing something. All right, so it's pretty easy for us today. You've got a pencil and you just simply take an eraser and erase it. Okay, but for in that time... The inks they had weren't as acidic as the inks we have today. So if we take an ink pen and we write on a piece of paper, that acid actually allows the ink to grab onto the paper more. But then their ink wasn't as acidic. And so you could erase things that were written on papyrus. But it was a careful process. You had to take a damp sponge. And you had to be careful as you blotted out those words. So you would take this sponge and you would blot. Just blot out those words. It was a careful, meticulous intentional process so we think about our sins how long is your list mine's pretty long mine's pretty long so that's a lot of blotting and Jesus if we'll repent blots out every one of our sins takes that sponge with his blood and just blots out those sins it's a beautiful beautiful picture now, I always try to do a kid's illustration, so this morning I've got one, but I need someone who is an artist, okay, some child who just, an artiste, and you want to draw a picture this morning, all right? 
So do we have an artiste out there? I only have two artists raising their hands, and they're both from the same family. So Jenna, come on up here. Tanner, you got to read the verse earlier. All right, Jenna, have a seat right there. All I want you to do, using you know, as much of the paper as you want here, I want you to draw a face, just a face, okay? All right, so you do that, and Jenna here is, oh, I see what you're doing. All right, I just had to stop for a second there. Okay, <clears throat> Jenna here is drawing a picture. Now, this is, a, this is her artistry, her craftsmanship, her workmanship that she's putting on paper here. So it's going to be beautiful. It's exactly what she wants it to be. So in a way, she's creating this, this uh, paper in, in her own image. She's doing this the way she wants to make this drawing. Don't get too detailed on me here because I don't have a whole lot of time for this illustration. So, you know, irises and all that stuff. Just, you know, circles and dots, baby. All right. All right. There you go. Good job. All right. So... As she's drawing this here, I want us to think about how we are all created in the image of God, and we are God's workmanship, his, his handiwork. It's getting smudgy. All right. Yeah. Lips. Okay. Hair. Good. No, just a lot of, yeah, we don't have to have every strand. All right. There we go. God does know, has counted every hair on our head, but okay, we're not going to take this illustration that far. That's good, right there. All right. It's smudgy, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, now you can have a seat right there. Okay, this is a beautiful picture. There is this beautiful picture Jenna made. Everyone give Jenna a round of applause for her beautiful picture there. All right. Okay, so this is just a beautiful image. And uh, what's that? Okay, now I want to make sure it's nice and dry. All right. Now, we're all made in the image of God. God, we are God's crafty, handiwork, his craftsmanship. But you know what? Sin has just done a number on us. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? All right. I know you worked so hard on that. Okay? Sin has just messed everything up. Okay? We're no longer the image bearers of God that we're supposed to be. Sin has just messed everything up. Just like I, in a very ugly way, just destroyed Jenna's picture. I heard this little, ah, uh, come as I did that. Because she worked so hard on that. And so what I want us to see today is that what Jesus offers us, if we'll repent, okay, that word blotted out, it simply means to be erased. He offers us, if we'll repent, that he's going to come in and he's going to take that sin and he's going to meticulously and carefully just blot it all out so that once again we can be the image bearers that God wants us to be. We can shine the glory of God. Okay? So I want you to keep that. You hang on to that. That's the image here. Jesus comes in and he just wipes away these sins. That's the, perhaps the, the most beautiful part of this whole passage is that God's dealing with sin. And so we see here, the first thing that we gain from this repentance is that we receive forgiveness of sin. The second thing I want us to see is that we can enjoy refreshing of the soul. We can enjoy refreshing of the soul. 
Let me go back real quick, though. I want to read a couple of passages that, that use that blotted out term real quick. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And then one of my favorites is Psalm 51, 7 through 12. P, uh, this is David asking God to forgive him after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What is hyssop? Anybody know? Okay, it's this plant used, prescribed for the priest to dip into blood and then sprinkle. They would sprinkle with this hyssop. David is not going to the priest at the tabernacle and saying, hey, please purge me with hyssop. Because he knows that's insufficient to fully deal with his sin. He's praying to God to do something. Purge me with hyssop. He's looking to a greater sacrifice, a much more perfect sacrifice, a perfect cleansing. And so he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So with those words of David, restore to me the joy of my salvation. The next thing I want us to see is that we can enjoy refreshing of the soul. Acts 3 verse 20. That times, because here's the second that. Okay, repent so that your sins can be blotted out. And then secondly, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is the only time this phrase refreshing is used in all the New Testament. The basic meaning of it in the Greek is this, a cooling off that comes from blowing, like the refreshment of a cool breeze. Okay, I, it reminds me of when I used to play soccer in Texas. My very first experience playing soccer in the United States after having lived overseas, I lived in Ecuador, in Quito, Ecuador, where you're 10,000 feet above sea level. On the equator, it was 72 degrees year-round. I mean, this was perfect weather. So I come to Abilene, Texas, to play soccer at Hardin-Simmons University. In my very first day of two-a-day practices, it was 102 degrees. And I thought I had died and literally gone to there, all right? It was so hot. And I remember that the trainers had these towels that were frozen, and these frozen towels in these big coolers, frozen. And so we'd get done running. We'd have to run. The first day of two-a-day practices, our coach says, all right, guys, we're going to start off today with a five-mile run. I said, you've got to be kidding me. It's 102 degrees. He says, no, let's run. So we take off running. We get done with that. You feel like your head's about to explode. You're so hot. And then the trainers come out with these towels. They say, lean over. And they just put this towel over your head. It's just an ice towel. And that's what I think of here. We're burning from sin, from failure. We failed God. We feel like everything's falling apart because it is. Sin tears us apart. And so we come to God and we repent of our sins. He blots out those sins. And the, these times of refreshing come. Okay, this, it's like a cool breeze. The other illustration I have is, you guys know that Emma Kate's at home sick. Um, I hope she doesn't have the whatever virus, the, the swine flu. I hate using that word. I mean, it feels dirty, right? It's not like Emma Kate's been playing with pigs or anything, okay? The swine... H1N1 sounds like a droid. So I just, what choice do I have, you know? 
R2-D2 or pigs. But anyway, so she, I don't know if she has that or not. I hope she doesn't, okay? hope she doesn't have that. But she's at home sick. I mean, she had 104 fever yesterday, 104.2. And so she got so congested in her chest, she was just, <gasps> and couldn't breathe. And Heather said, take her outside because the air was cool. So my wife's a nurse. I'm assuming that she's telling me the right thing. Take my daughter in pajamas who's sick outside where it's almost freezing. So I did. I take her at 3 o'clock in the morning. I go outside with her. It was almost instantaneous. She's, <gasps> all of a sudden she could breathe. That cool air just came in and opened up her, her, her passageways, whatever this thing is here, your trachea thingy, all right? She could breathe all of a sudden. And so that's, that's what it's like. We're being choked out by sin, and, and all of a sudden, God comes in with this refreshing, this cool breeze, and we can live again. We can breathe again. We can experience life the way we were intended to experience life. And so when we think about this times of refreshing, well, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it, it means the presence of God with us. Look at, the, look at the verse. It says that times of refreshing may come from what? From the presence of the Lord. How is the Lord present with his people when they've repented of their sins? The Holy Spirit is present with his people. So God's Spirit resides in us. And so there's these times of refreshing that simply come from having God's Spirit residing in us. It's an overwhelming ministry of God's Spirit in the innermost part of our being that miraculously and inexplicably transcends all of our circumstances, our trials, our tribulations, and our troubles. That's what this times of refreshing is. It's rest that overcomes the exhaustion of day-to-day -day experience. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's comfort when living for Christ is uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians 1.5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, that doesn't sound comfortable, does it? Christ's sufferings. The verse goes on to say, So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. It's comfort that overcomes the uncomfortable. It's joy that cannot be quenched by the darkest sadness of mankind. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What hope, what joy. James 1, 2 through 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So it's joy, it's hope that remains when all the world seems to be fading away. And it's peace when nothing around us is peaceful. John 16, it's been my life verse, and I've had to rely on it many times. Jesus says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the refreshing. It's not that I'm going to pray and receive Christ, and everything's going to go great. Perfect. My kids are going to start obeying me. I mean, as a children's pastor... I remember the first time that I had a parent come into my office. This happened probably on three occasions. A parent come into my office and say, I'm not sure little Johnny actually prayed to receive Christ last year after he was baptized. I said, well, why not? He said, because he's misbehaving. He's not obeying perfectly. He's doing all this junk, and, and, and I just don't think he's saved. And I thought, it, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, yes, he comes, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us. 
And the Bible promises us that we are being made into, a, into this new creation. We become a new creation, but we are also still being made into the likeness of Christ. And so all of a sudden, parents just all of a sudden think little Johnny's going to be a saint and never going to sin anymore. You know what? We still have trouble. We still make foolish mistakes. We, are, we make some of the dumbest mistakes. Don't just assume because you receive Jesus Christ that you're never going to make mistakes again. You're going to make bad choices and you end up in bad circumstances. But you know what? His spirit is there to help you learn from those and to help you endure the situations you're in. And don't just think because you pray and receive Christ that all your finances are going to be fine. You don't pray, receive Christ, repent of your sins, and boom, Mercedes. That doesn't happen. Don't believe it if, if someone tells you it does. Because the Bible says that Jesus didn't have anywhere to lay his head. No one could be closer to the Father than Jesus, and he didn't have a home. And here we are, expecting God just, oh, God, you know what? My house is just too small. I can't fit my two kids in 3,400 square feet. Lord, please, I just need a new home. My goodness. Times of refreshing is not about that stuff. Times of refreshing is when God's Spirit ministers to you in a way that overcomes the circumstances, doesn't do away with them. Overcomes the circumstances of life. And so that's this, this, this refreshing of the soul. Notice the chronology of the passage. First, there's forgiveness of sin. Then there's refreshing from the presence of God. And the next thing we see in verse 20, it says, and that, they, and that he, God, may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things. This is referring to the second coming. So our last point is, there we go, we can experience full restoration at his coming. Full restoration, restoration, restoration of our bodies fully and restoration of all things. The Bible says that Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth. This is referring to the return of Christ, that glorious day. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. It's the restoring of all things that will happen when Christ returns. The, this this, this ver word actually refers to restoring something or returning it to its original state, renewing it, make, or remaking it. We are the first fruits of that restoration. We're the first fruits of that restoration. And as we are sanctified and made new, okay, we become more like Jesus. But we are already a new creation, but we are still becoming what we already are. I love to refer to it that way. People say, well, how come I'm not perfect yet? Because you're becoming what you already are. We're already, if you've received Jesus Christ, we are perfected. We're already glorified, according to Romans chapter 8. That's already done. It's past tense. But we are not God, and we are in this journey, and we are becoming what we already are. And so that's the, the restoration that's happening to us day by day, but Christ will return one day and make it final. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Romans 8.19-23 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's this awaiting that we have, this, this longing that all creation has to be restored, to be made new. And we know that it will happen because we have revelation to look, for, look towards. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Just listen to this passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By the way, that's the same phrase, blotted out. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He'll blot out our tears. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the glorious hope that we look forward to. The restoration of all things. Glory be to God. Sometimes we just think of repentance. I mean, in that first section up there. Well, I, I'm going to repent and just get my sins taken care of. And that's good. But repentance brings so much more. It brings so much more than just your sins being blotted out. It brings a refreshing of the soul from the presence of God in our life. And it brings a restoration that we'll experience at the end of the ages. That is a glorious hope. And that's what our repentance accomplishes. And that's what we should look forward to. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as Mark gets ready to lead us in two songs of response. It's time for us to respond now to the message. It's time for us to respond. Perhaps our response this morning, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, perhaps our response this morning is simply that I've had too narrow a view of repentance. And I've just been thinking about my sins being forgiven, but I haven't been thinking about how God's very presence is with me, with me to help me overcome circumstances. Perhaps you haven't been thinking about the glory of, of what's to come so that you can just praise God and just praise God for what he's done and what he's going to do. So this morning I want us to respond by just thinking about God, what he's doing in your life. You don't deserve anything. Don't begin to think, well, because I repented and, and pat yourself on the back and think that, I, you know what, you couldn't do that unless God was working in your heart. So this morning, let's just go to God and respond to him. And if you're here this morning and you've never talked to anyone about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repenting from those sins, then make this morning the time you do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, as we begin to sing a couple of songs to respond to you, as we bring our offerings up here and put them in the, in the offering bucket as we bring our prayer requests up here and put them in the prayer request basket and lord i pray that father that we would also just be bringing our hearts to you even if we're sitting still and just say god do a work in me god whatever whatever i haven't been doing according to your word god just change me god perhaps i haven't been like peter where i haven't gone and looked at people with compassion i look at my neighbor and i have no compassion for him where I should have compassion that out of ignorance, he's going down the wrong road. So God, do something in our hearts. Work in us this morning as we sing these songs and as we respond to you. 
We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. May you get all the glory out of our repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, if you would, as we sing these songs. Thank you.